0: You didn't bring your bucket? <laughs> Did I, am the only one who got that email? Hmm, maybe it was a scam. Uh, just a reminder, today there is uh, no children's worship. It's July. This is the last Sunday of July. Our children's worship will begin again next Sunday. There is no children's worship today. There is a five-gallon bucket. Um, this is a five-gallon bucket, and this is a sermon series that uh, is Uh, revisiting some highlights from the life and ministry of Jesus. We're thinking together uh, as a pastoral team this summer and thinking, you know, we give a lot of attention to these key mountaintop moments in the work of Christ, His uh, birth, the the incarnation, the coming of the Creator into His creation, and Jesus' uh, crucifixion and resurrection. But what about the key moments in between? So today we're going to talk about a key moment when Jesus performed his first miracle. We're going to be reading it from John's gospel. John is going to describe it as a sign and say that Jesus performed a sign. Um, Why do we talk about miracles in the Christian church? Is it because we believe they happen every moment of every day and uh, you are just, um, uh, you know, unbelieving and so you don't notice them? No. Is it because we don't believe uh, in science, no, uh, the Creator established patterns by which His creation would work. And uh, we observe those patterns, when we, and we describe them using the laws of nature and physics and so forth. But at really impo- important moments, the, the Creator, he, he alters the trajectory of His creation. Those are miracles. And uh, we're going to be talking about one of those today. It's from John chapter 2. We'll hear this language used that, that Jesus performed a sign that manifested His glory. What does manifest mean? It means to cause something to be clearly and easily seen. To put it on display so that people can see it. So Jesus Jesus did a sign that caused something to be seen. That's how signs work. If, um, if you see a sign on the highway like this, it's pointing you to something else beside itself that's even more important, right? The point of the sign isn't that people driving down the road would go, oh, look, it's a metal square with a squiggly line on it. How cool is that? No, the, the sign is pointing you to something beside itself that's even more important, It's more important that you know that the road ahead is curvy and windy, so you need to stay safe. The sign is there to point to something more important than itself. So Jesus did a sign to point to something else so that it would be clearly and easily seen. What is the something else that Jesus' sign puts on display? It's this, that Jesus is Glorious. Great, Jesus is glorious. Glorious how? What is it about him that is so glorious and that has anything to do with a five-gallon bucket? Glad you asked. Uh, Donna's going to read for us about this sign and the glory of Jesus from John chapter 2.
1: Okay, so today's scripture reading is from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. This is the word of the Lord.:
0: be to God. So uh, this bucket holds five gallons. right? We just read about Jesus being at a wedding where there were six stone water jars, each of which could hold 20 or thirty gallons so One jar holding four, five, six times this much. And there's not just one of those jars present. There are six of them. These jars, I've seen a few of them in the uh, Israeli Museum in Jerusalem. They stand about this tall. They're about this big around. They're all carved from a single block of stone. Pretty amazing engineering feat in the first century world. Made of stone because uh, stone was believed to not uh, pass along ritual impurity like other materials would. So these stone jars are there for the sake of holding a lot of water. Right? Remember, this is only five gallons. We're talking about Jesus turning uh, 120, 150, maybe even as much as 180 gallons of water. Into wine. For those of you keeping score at home, that's about a thousand bottles of wine, 1,600 Coke cans, right? All at once. Um, What are we learning about Jesus? Well, we could say we're learning that he's powerful, that he has power over nature. Yes, his power is glorious. But there's something else here that we're intended to see in this and in every one of Jesus' miracles, that not only is he powerful, but his power is married to grace, kindness, mercy, compassion. So every time he performs a miracle, he's saying, come to me. Bring, bring yourself to me. What do we bring to Jesus? How do we see his kindness and goodness through this miracle? Well, first of all, we learned that we can bring Jesus our shame. Now, you don't see the word shame anywhere in a Bible translation of of this story. But if you were from first century uh, culture in the Middle Eastern world, you know shame is written all over this text because the groom at this wedding feast has one job And one job only. And it is to supply enough food and enough drink for every guest for the entire feast. The feast may last as long as a week. And you're the groom, and that's your job. And everybody you know is going to be there. The whole village is there. I mean, for goodness sake, Mary and Jesus and Jesus' disciples and Jesus' brothers and sisters walked all the way from Nazareth to Cana to come to this wedding. People have gathered from all around and they're going to see your failure at one of the most important events of your whole life. And everyone you know gathered there to see that you didn't bring enough. That either you forgot or maybe you were too poor to buy enough. Maybe you were careless or maybe... Maybe you just didn't have enough money or time or connections to the right people. Whatever the reason, you live in an honor-shame culture and everyone is about to see that you failed on one of the largest stages possible in the ancient world. It's a kind of shame that you will never live down Now, Jesus hasn't done any miracles up to this point. So Mary knows something is at stake culturally, right? That's why she says and makes a big deal of it. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. This is a big deal. This man is about to be publicly humiliated. He's going to be an outcast forever. Starting with his wife, (laughs) And her family, then his own family, the whole village, every other village where the guests came from, his name is going to be mud forever. And maybe Mary doesn't know yet that Jesus has power to perform miracles, but maybe she knows enough about him that he has compassion on people who are outcasts. And that he knows something about how to restore the honor of people who have been Shamed. There's another reminder of shame in this passage, and it has to do with our sticks, stone jars that are there for purification. Why? The Old Testament says that priests have to wash their hands before they eat the meals that were sacrificed in the temple. But not every Jewish person is a priest. The Old Testament also said that under certain circumstances, when you would touch things that that made you uh, ceremonially unclean, you had to wash before you could eat again. But not everybody is in that circumstance at every moment. So why do we have 180 gallons of water here so that every guest can wash their hands? Not all the guests are priests. And not all the guests have touched something unclean. But before they put anything in their mouth, every time they've got to wash their hands. Why? Why are we going above and beyond here what the scriptures taught? And the answer is God's people said, we have failed you and and we're trying to wash away our failure. We we didn't give our hearts only to you. We were surrounded by nations who had other gods and idols and goddesses and, and we went after them. And we thought we could worship you and them, and we weren't faithful to you. And we feel deep shame because of that failure. And can we go above and beyond and do more than you ask? And can we all act like priests, even though we aren't all? Can we do more than you ask? And, and will all that washing somehow wash the shame of our failure away? And when Jesus turns all that water into wine... Two things happen. One, (laughs) the groom, who has blown it spectacularly, suddenly gets honor, right? You read the, the master of ceremonies pulls him aside and he says, hey man, this
1: is amazing.
0: Most people serve the best wine soonest in the feast and then when everybody's had the good stuff, They bring out the mediocres, But you've saved the best to last. So this man who is about to be humiliated is now honored. For something he didn't do. Or something Jesus did. And by turning that water for washing into wine. Jesus is sending a clear signal. To those who knew it was dipped out of those water jars. Now, not every guest would have known that immediately. Imagine the shock the next time you go to wash your hands, though. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, that stuff's purple. (laughs) Jesus is sending a signal. You can't change your own heart. You can't wash away your shame. You can't wash away your failure. Because what the human heart needs is not just a little surface cleansing. It needs complete transformation into something new and different. So I'm going to turn the water into wine. Jesus is showing us that we can bring our shame and our failure to him. Right? He is saying that he has come to cover our shame so that we get honor because of what he has done. And we find in him a new power to transform us from the inside out, to change us in ways that we could never change ourselves. That's why Jesus does miracles, is so that we will bring him our shame. What is the badge of your shame? If somebody wrote it down and hung it around your neck, what would it say? The memory that you will never live down, the failure That you will never forget. Maybe because people constantly remind you of it. (laughs) They won't let you forget it. Maybe it's that time when you had an opportunity to seize the moment on an athletic field or on a stage giving a speech. Whatever it was, the big moment. And you just, you had it right there and you blew it. And everybody saw it. Was it the moment that you spoke a word that completely crushed someone and you wish you could forget the sounds coming out of your lips, but you can't. A moment when you promised big, but you failed to follow through. Let this sign, Jesus turning water into wine, point you to something else more important than your failure and your shame. You might even need to practice saying it out loud from time to time. Jesus, I believe that you turned water into wine. I believe that you did it, and I believe that your glory is greater than my shame. I believe that what you have to offer me is greater than my failure. I believe that what I cannot wash away, you can change. Jesus does this miracle and every other miracle to invite us to bring our failure and our shame to him. He has great power, yes. But that great power is married to glorious grace. How do we know? Well, here's another way we know it. This sign in John 2 tells us that we can bring Jesus our longings for healing, Sorrows are healed in this story. A moment that's it tips on the balance of, of everything becoming a disaster and this wedding being re, remembered for failure and shame, and now it's just celebration. Uh, there are signs here that nature is going to be healed, that, that a world in, in which uh, nature can't produce enough can now produce beyond what we could imagine. I don't think you need 180 gallons of wine to finish out the wedding feast. There's more than enough here that when the creator puts his hand to creation, it is healed and it can supply more than what all of his creatures need. Can I just add for a moment that if you find miracles hard to accept, that's actually part of the point. It's a good thing if you read the Scriptures and you go, hmm, I'm not sure the world works this way. Yes, that's the point. The world doesn't normally work this way. This world right now is, is um, it's under a curse, and things don't work this way. But when the Creator steps in and changes the trajectory of His creation, He provides more than we could possibly imagine. And so, yeah, the the miracle stories are going to be hard to accept. It's beyond what I can imagine. That's part of the point. They're trying to do that work in our hearts. Why? Because ultimately, this sign and every other miracle of Jesus is saying that the whole world is going to be healed forever. How do we know that? Well, Because Jesus is in a Jewish village at a Jewish wedding among Jewish people. And the Jewish people knew that abundant wine was a symbol over centuries for deep longings of every human heart being healed. Here's one example from Isaiah chapter 25. God says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, aged wine, well-refined, the good stuff. A feast, more than enough. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. By turning all of this water into wine, Jesus is saying, the moment is here. It is getting ready to happen. I am about to do the thing that's going to heal the whole world. I'm going to break the power of death. To do that, I have to absorb the terrors of your shame and your failure and your sin against me and my Father and the Holy Spirit. And I have come to do it and the whole world is about to be healed. Amos chapter 9, these are the very last words of the whole book. The prophet Amos wants us to end on this note. He says, you know what? The mountains are going to drip with sweet wine one day and all the hills are going to flow with it. You're going to fill up this bucket and another one and another one and another one and you're going to need about 30 or 40 of them because wine is going to abound one day when the Lord is finished healing the whole world. He will restore the fortunes of his people Israel and they will rebuild what has been ruined and they'll plant vineyards, and they'll drink their wine. And Jesus is saying, bring me the parts of your heart that hurt so badly for the healing of this world, the parts of your heart that fear death, the parts of your heart that grieve the loss of friends and loved ones who have died Who have gone on before, the parts of your heart that are still hurting, bring that to me. I will heal it one day. Everything that has been ruined, your heart wants it to be restored. We want to live in a world where death is no more. It's not just Christians who want that, every human being wants to be free from that pain. And everybody who's had something go up in flames ruined before their very eyes, would love to know that there's a day when it will be rebuilt and restored and will have a new start. Whether it's on the global scale, you're overwhelmed by the headlines that you read. The more you learn about the world, the worse it seems to be. The more complex the problems are and therefore the more hopeless Progress seems in your personal life. Life just keeps coming one problem after another. You're constantly putting out fires. You think you've solved the marriage issue and suddenly a parenting thing pops up. You think you've solved the relationship with your roommate issue and then all of a sudden you're behind on your taxes because you, you know, kind of lost the bill. It got stuck under that pile of mail and now you owe all, all, all kinds of penalties and you just weren't prepared for that and there are four people trying to get in touch with you at once because email, texting, phone It and when does it all stop and you're just exhausted and you have to say Jesus I believe you turned water into wine as a sign of something but I've, I'm too tired to remember what it was my heart hurts so much <laughs> And I'm so weary that I can't even remember what the sign was pointing me to. Let Jesus say to you, the sign means I am the bridegroom. And I will host the feast to end all feasts. And I can provide more than enough to meet the needs of every guest forever. Don't mess around with the little stuff. Can you believe that Jesus turned this much water into wine? Scripture doesn't ask you to. It asks you to believe he turned like 40 times this much water into wine. Don't stumble over the little thing. I don't believe Jesus could turn that much water into wine. Well, if you have a hard time believing that, you probably have a hard time believing that one day he's going to come back and heal the entire World. Stumble over that. Wrestle with that. Christianity doesn't promise us that Jesus was a miracle worker who came to impress people with his magic tricks. His miracles are meant to say, I'm preparing a feast for all peoples, and anybody who comes to that feast can be free from shame. From failure, from pain, and death forever. Maybe this groom couldn't bring enough wine for the feast, but I am the true bridegroom. And I can bring more than enough, not just for a handful. But for anybody who does what my first disciples did, they saw the sign, and scripture says, His disciples believed in Him. I don't know if you follow Jesus, I, I don't know if you know Him, trust Him, but He's inviting you today to come to Him. Bring your shame. Bring all the hurt that you want to be healed. And he will supply. Beginning now. And when he comes again. Enduring forever. All that you will ever need. Let's give thanks for that promise. Lord Jesus. Thank you for caring about People so much that your mother could turn to you and say, I know this is not your job. You are not the groom at this banquet, but please help. And it seemed like you were reluctant, but then you did far beyond what she could imagine. Thank you for being more and doing more than we could imagine. Strengthen our faith in you, Jesus. Whether today is the the birthday for that faith for some of us in the room or a day for it to begin again, a day for it to deepen. Strengthen our faith in you, we pray in your name. Amen.